Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. to you this brief text. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you want to destroy a child, just every day say to that child, I am ashamed of you. You might have reason to say that. Uh, The child might be ill-behaved and hard to handle and frustrating. Child might be an embarrassment to you when you go out in public, you know, the kind of thing when you're walking with a child in the mall and kid does something, says something, and you duck into the store next door and just, you know, somebody get that child's parent, you know. (laughs) You know, just whisper to a child every day, I'm ashamed of you. And the child will grow up ashamed of himself. By the way, whisper every day in his ear, you're okay. You're okay in my book. And I don't care what you do, where you go, what you say, I'm proud of you because you belong to me. But you want to destroy a child, just say, I'm ashamed of you. Shame is one of the most powerful experiences known to man. Shame is a, a, an emotional, psychological, and even spiritual experience in which we come to see ourselves as worthless and as useless, our life as pointless, and our destiny as hopeless. Because of shame, we are afraid to step out. Because of shame, we're afraid to be seen. Because of shame, we want to hide. There's a basic definition of shame that takes place uh, alongside the definition of guilt. Guilt is what you feel when you know you've done something wrong. Shame is what you feel when you know that you are something wrong. That's why guilt is the kind of thing that, well, I know I'm guilty, but maybe I can handle it. I can work it out, get a lawyer, come to an agreement, community service, guilt is gone. But shame is the kind of thing where you want to dig a hole, and when you get to the bottom of it, dig it deeper and cover yourself up. You just don't want to be seen because of shame. You remember what happened to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. There in Genesis chapter 3, after the serpent came to Eve and said, uh, you know, why don't you eat of the tree? Uh, And uh, Eve said, well, really ought not to do that. The devil said, well, it's really okay. You can get away with it. Uh, Eve looked at it, figured it out that, well, you know, this is really kind of a worthwhile experience. It'll be a growing experience. Great on my resume. And uh, so she took of the, f- of the tree, the fruit of the tree, and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband who also ate of it. And the scripture says immediately their eyes were opened. And they saw what they had done. Their eyes were opened and the scripture says and they saw, they knew that they were naked. And that's just not a physical thing, but that was an emotional thing, that they were exposed to one another as children in rebellion against God. 
They saw each other no longer in the purity that God had designed, but now they saw each other in the wretched selfishness that sin had brought to them. And because of their shame, they sewed the fig leaves together and made loincloths so that they might hide their shame. And then they heard God coming to them. They heard God whom so often before they had welcomed to walk with him in the cool of the day. They heard the coming of God whom every other time they had relished the thought that here he comes now, the best part of the day has come. But this time, because of their shame, when they heard God coming, they hid in the bushes knowing that God is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, knowing that God is able to discern anything that's happening, knowing that nothing can be hidden from God, and yet in their shame they went through this useless, silly exercise of hiding in the bushes. This is what shame does to us when we want to hide. There's a kind of dysfunctional shame that the world heaps on us. Uh, sometimes it comes to us out of childhood issues, uh, sometimes it's because of experiences growing up. You know, it's uh, uh, going through those, those uh, uh, years in, in high school and, and uh, uh, trying to fit in with the crowd. And, of course, you know that uh, um, uh, in, in that kind of setting, all your friends, they, the only thing they want to do is build you up. And uh, so that, that's why no matter what it is, somebody somewhere in that high school is going to find something about you to laugh at. You could be the most gorgeous girl on earth. You could be just drop dead pretty. And somebody in that high school is going to find the one flaw in your complexion, is going to point it out, everybody will giggle, and you'll spend the rest of your life walking around like this. You know, what a pretty girl, but she's got this thing. <laughs> because you will decide that that is what the world thinks of you, and ashamed of it, you'll try to hide it. There's a dysfunctional kind of shame that, that is put upon us by uh, the growing up experiences. There's the world that will put shame on you. The, you know, you speak up for Christ, the world says, don't say that. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why are you speaking up for Jesus? Don't you know that you're narrow-minded, you're hateful, you're spiteful, you're not intolerant, you, you just don't uh, understand other people, you're a bigot. When you try to share the gospel, oh, you just think you're right. What's wrong with you? Nobody else is doing that. When you try to live for Christ, everybody around you points out that it's not harming anybody, it's not doing anything. Everybody consents to this. Everybody understands. And the world will try to heap shame on you when you try to live for Christ. These are dysfunctional shame. Shame that you don't deserve. Beloved, do you have a shame in your life you don't deserve? Is there something about your life of which you are ashamed? And when you pray about it, all the Holy Spirit says is, that's a lie. It's not true. You're actually valuable and precious in God's sight. And that that you're looking at and that you think defines your life and the, the world is laughing at, so you want to go and you want to hide somewhere, and you've been putting up a false front your whole life, and you've sort of been living in, as, a, as an actor and just playing out a role, and you've, you've been convinced that if anybody knew this thing inside of you that, that was handed to you in your childhood, handed to you when you were a student, handed to you by the world, that this dysfunctional shame given to you is, is wrong, it doesn't belong to you. Beloved, I bring you this verse. 
he, whoever, believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus Christ knows you inside out. Jesus Christ knows you from the very beginning. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Jesus Christ knows every day of your life. He knows everything that's ever happened. He knows what you said. He knows what you didn't say. He knows what you were thinking. He knows what's been heaped upon you and forced upon you. He knows what the world has done to you. Jesus Christ knows every bit of that. And when you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, he loves you for exactly who you are. And those who believe him have no cause for shame because our Savior died for us. And he, he declared us worthy of God's attention. He declared us lovely and lovable in God's sight. And so don't carry that shame any longer. Identify it. Identify where it came from. If you need to talk to somebody about it, you need to pray about it. Pray through it. Identify where it came from, that it came from a dysfunctional source and that it's it's just eating at your life and tearing at your life and you're missing out on all the joy God would give you because you're concentrating on this dysfunctional shame when Jesus Christ came to set you free and to make you alive in him. There's a dysfunctional shame, but there's something that for the moment I'm going to call godly shame. And this is the shame we feel when we realize there is something wrong. See, that's the difference between guilt and shame. You're guilty no matter what you think. Now, there's folks who break the law, they break the Ten Commandments, they don't care. They don't think they're guilty. In fact, the whole world says they're not guilty. They're, in fact, sophisticated. They are, in fact, uh, choosing a way of life nobly. And so all must admire you for this choice of lifestyle. And there's no sense of guilt at all. We've become pathological in our sin. And without feeling guilty at all, still we are guilty. Doesn't matter what you feel, you're guilty. Guilty of breaking God's law. All that needs to be done is for the court to convene, the judge to pronounce sentence. You're guilty no matter what you feel. But when you start to feel shame about the guilt, then God can do something with you. I think of the apostle Peter and how he um, denied Christ three times. You remember that. You know, he said, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang in there with you. If I have to die with you, I'm going to be there with you, Jesus. You're not going through this night alone. I've got your back. And yet three times he said, no, I don't belong to him. Never heard of him. What are you talking about, expletive, deleted? I'm not his disciple. I'm not his follower. And then the shame overcame him, and he went out and he wept. He wept. But one of the first things Jesus said after the resurrection was what? <laughs> Go tell Peter. Go tell Peter. I knew about that when I died for him. I knew about that when I gave up my life. I knew about that when the power of the Spirit raised me in the glory of the Father. Go tell Peter that I'm risen. And go tell Peter he's forgiven. Oh, that shame brought Peter to Christ. It is our shame that will bring us to the cross. And there on the cross we see Jesus who died for our shame. 
See, there's something called a godly shame when it is shame over our sin and our rebellion against God. It is justly earned. But when it brings us to the cross, it's the grace of God. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We come to the cross where Christ takes away the shame of our sin. You see, the Romans knew a lot about shame. The Romans knew that shame was a powerful tool to regulate people's behavior. And so if you broke the Roman law in a serious manner, they wanted you to be shamed before the world. They wanted you to be put in front of everybody. Folks see you and think that you are shameful. And so they invented something called crucifixion. In crucifixion, they, they set up a post with a crossbar, and they would take the victim, strip him naked before the world, hang him up on his cross, nail his hands to the, to, to the wood, put his crime over his head, and then all the people walking by would see the indignity of that crucifixion, watch the weight of your own body crushing the life out of you so you asphyxiated dying a slow, lingering death while people mocked you and laughed at you, and the world would say, what a shameful death you are dying. The cross was designed to kill you with shame. There was one man who died on a cross, but just before he died, as he was hanging there in the shame of his crime, for this man was a thief, and he felt the shame. But the last thing he said, as he turned to one friend, he said, look, don't you fear God? We're dying here in our shame justly. This cross that we are on, we deserve. This death that we are dying, it's ours. This shame belongs to us. And then he turned to Jesus, dying on a cross of shame next to him. And he said, Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't deserve anything, but just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that moment, the shame of that thief was taken off his shoulders, and that shame placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for the shame of that thief because on the cross, Jesus Christ died to take away our shame. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. During his ministry, Jesus had told the disciples, he said, look, uh, you got to get your values straight. You got to get your, your orientation straight. You have to understand if you gain the entire world and lose your soul, you have gained nothing. You've got to understand that the only way you live is by dying, and the only way that you come into the glory of the Father is by confessing your sin. And so he was talking about all these kinds of things, and he concluded that at the end of Mark chapter 8. He says, look, if you're ashamed of me, if you will not align yourself with the shame of Jesus Christ on the cross, he said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. This wasn't some idle threat trying to get his way. This is simply the observation of God's plan of salvation. You reject Christ, you die in shame for all eternity.
but whoever believes in him will not be put to shame when we stand before the throne of the Father. When we stand before him, he will not see the shame of our sin, but he will see the glory of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we stand before the throne, surrounded by the angels in their glory, we will not think to ourselves, what am I doing here? I need a place to hide. We will say, I'm with him. I'm with the Son. I'm with Jesus. And it will not be shame, but it will be boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ that we will experience in that moment because whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's a shame of sin. There's the shame of a wasted life. I remind you again of the parable of the talents and the first two servants took their talents, they invested them, they brought back a, a multiplication, they brought back the talents with interest. The, in, the, in the third servant, he came back and said, look, uh, master, here's your talent. I kept it safe. It's a little dirty from where I buried it, but it's fine. I brought it to you. And the, and, and the, the master says, you wicked servant. You should have put it in the bank. At least you would have gotten 0.0025%. But essentially, he said, you wicked servant, you wasted your life. You did nothing with it. You didn't invest it in things that would glorify the master. There's shame of a wasted life. Sadly, some of us look back on our lives and we see so many missed opportunities, not, not opportunities for success and advancement, but we see missed opportunities where we could have been faithful and we were found lacking. We look back on our lives and we see so many opportunities when we could have been a servant and we could have been glorifying the Father. Instead, we were investing our time in meaningless things of the world. We look back on a wasted life. But Jesus Christ makes all things new. The great thing about the gospel is that when you come to Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You are born again. The old things passed away. The new things have come. The past that was filled with the rebellion and the sin, that passes away. Now God opens up an unlimited future whereby we might honor and glorify him. There's a shame of a wasted life, but it doesn't have to be wasted any longer. There's a shame of a life that has been spent in the frivolous things of the world, but it doesn't have to be frivolous any longer because whoever believes in him shall not, will not be put to shame. And so this, this great verse, it says, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to uh, be put to shame before uh, the Father's throne in judgment. Um, what that also means, though, is this. Um, let me look this up for you. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Okay, let me mark this verse there and turn to it. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let, let me go back to verse 10, get a running start on this. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, that's Christ, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, should make the founder of salvation perfect through suffering, that's the cross. For he who sanctifies, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, 
in the name of the Son, by the will and the glory of the Father. He who sanctifies, those who are sanctified, that's us, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. It's all about the glory of the Father. You come to Christ by faith. We all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. Look, I could almost understand that if it was a comparison with, say, the apostles. The apostle Peter you know, did write well in the, in the scriptures, but you know, he had his problems, he had his struggles, he had the times when he was uh, turning against Christ and, and, and actually working for the things of man rather than the things of God. He denied Christ, you know, all those kinds of things, reclaimed by the grace of God, the power of the resurrection, and God used him for a mighty ministry, but we know that he had his shortcomings and that. When I compare myself to the apostle Peter, I fall far short of Peter. Much more so do I fall short of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. I could understand it if Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to call the apostle John my brother because he's the apostle of love. He writes about the love of the Father and the Son for one another in the fourth gospel. And he writes in, in just in a grand and glorious way about how Christ is honored throughout the pages of history as, it, as evil and sin is, defa- is defeated and ultimately brings in the new heaven and the new earth and the glory of the kingdom and the, and the glory of the bride. I could understand if Jesus said, I'm unashamed to call John my brother. What I can't get over is that Jesus calls me his brother. I cannot get over that. That when I walk into the courts of heaven, one of the angels says, why are you here? Jesus will say, this is my brother. And I'm proud of him. He's with me. I can't get over that. I can't get over this verse that says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but will be called the child of God, will be called the brother, the sister of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is proud of us. Can you imagine? Oh, sometimes haven't you just longed for somebody to say, I'm proud of you? Just long for somebody to say, you know, you know they're proud of you in other areas, but you're dealing with a problem, and it's just failing, it's falling apart, and you're, and you're contributing half the problem out of, out of your own sort of self-will and sinful nature and all that. And at that moment, wouldn't it be great if somebody just came and said, it's okay, I'm proud of you. Here in Hebrews 2.11, it says that the Son, Jesus Christ, he's unashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. It gets better. You know, just you know, this is the way the gospel is. I'm not going to tell you where we're going. This is the way the gospel is. It gets better and better and better. And just about the time you understand just a small part of the grace of God and how marvelous he is in the way that he loves us and has saved us, you get to that point and you say, it can't get any better than that. And just as soon as you say that, you know, the gospel says, no, here's something else. And it just keeps better and better and better. Anybody wants to say amen, go ahead. Yeah. So here we are in Hebrews, turn to chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter 11, and I have it on good authority. It's verse 16. Sure enough. Oh, um, we'll back up, get a running start into this. Hebrews 11, of course, is reciting the great saints of the Old Testament and their faith and that they were always looking for a land uh, that God would show them, that they were looking for a city that was not their own. They were dwelling in tents. It was revealed to them that they would not inherit these things apart from us, those kinds of things. Uh, But uh, back up to verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He is not ashamed to be called their God. We're talking Old Testament here. We're talking about people who slip back into idols all the time, worshiping idols all the time, Baals, Yasharoth. We're talking about folks who, who chased after other gods, tried to be like other cultures. We're talking about folks who forgot the law and, 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 uh, and, and forgot about their, their uniqueness and being chosen. And yet the Scripture says God was not ashamed to be called their God, look, God is majestic and glorious. He created the angels in their perfection and in their glory. And I can understand he's not ashamed to be called God of the angels for the majesty of the angelic presence. But folks, I can't get over that God's unashamed to be called my God. And that when I turn to him and I say, Father, Abba, he does not laugh, but he's proud of me. I can't get over that. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame when the close of history comes. You will not be put to shame when you stand at the final judgment Your sins will not be rolled out for all the world, all the universe to ridicule, but your name will be read out having been written in the Lamb's blood in the book of life. You will not be ashamed, held naked and exposed to a hostile universe, but rather you will be clothed in a white robe belonging to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when people look at you, they will not see and laugh, but they will see and glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You put your faith, your hope, your trust, your belief in Him. You will not be put to shame. This has very real day-to-day operational meanings because that dysfunctional shame that shame that the world has tried to put on you, that shame that maybe childhood experiences or abusive home or, uh, or, or a failure in a marriage or a frustration with a child, that kind of shame that, that, that is adhering to you and is making you think you're not worthy and not worthwhile and, and God can't use you, that shame doesn't belong to you. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not be put to shame. He takes it away. Let me give you one other passage of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 10. 
Romans 10. Uh, I would back up and get a running start into this verse in Romans, but in order to do so, I'd have to start with Romans 1.1 1, 1 and just, you know, work our way there. So uh, we're just going to jump into the middle of it. In Romans 10, look at verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that, that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith, let's, let's understand that as the shame-free righteousness that is based on faith. says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down? The righteousness ours in Christ, we don't have to figure out how to go up to heaven to get it. We don't have to appoint a delegation to go in front of, of, of the Father and, and ask and play, plead and beg that, that he would send righteousness in Christ down to us. You don't have to try to ascend on your own merit and on your own strength into heaven to bring it down. So it, 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 the, the righteousness of God does not, uh, doesn't say in, in its heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend, descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's not like we had to figure out how to get Jesus out of the grave. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The Holy Spirit puts it there in your mouth and in your heart because that is the word of faith we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and by the way, you can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Oh, you can say the words, but you cannot have that radical, life-changing confession of faith apart from the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians tells us that. And so, as the Holy Spirit works in your life and you bring to, brings you to that point where you say, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This amazing grace of God, the power of the resurrection. You believe it with your mouth. You believe it in your heart. He is Lord. He is risen. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, look at this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Seems like Paul and Peter had the same teacher. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the shame is taken away, absolutely taken away. There was a time when Jesus was walking uh, uh, along and, and Jairus came to him. Jairus was a, a ruler of the synagogue, a very prestigious man, an important man. And when Jairus came up, the crowd just sort of parted. He didn't, he didn't have to send, you know, uh, uh, servants to part the crowd. He was coming. This is Jairus, the, the ruler. Oh, there he is. Yeah, please. Come on by. He walked up to Jesus, part crowd, and lets him get there. He says, Jesus, my little girl is sick unto death. I want you to come heal her. Jesus says, okay, we'll do that. And so he and Jairus, they're walking along. The crowd just closes in around them. The crowd's all around them just packed around them. And there's a woman on the outskirts of the crowd. This woman had what the King James calls an issue of blood for 12 years. It was the kind of condition that when people found out about it, they did not want to be around her. 
What if she's contagious? What's wrong with her? You're a Jewish male. What happens if she brushes against me and I'm unclean and I can't worship anymore? And so she's out on the, on the edges of the crowd, and she spends most of her time trying to hide her condition so that people won't know. She decides that Jesus is coming by, and for some reason she knows that he's got a power like no other. She wants to come to Jesus, but the crowd does not part for her. So she comes up, and she starts to shoulder her way in, and as she does so, they don't part for her. They recoil from her. The closer she gets, the, wh the whispers goes up, here she comes, here she comes, here she comes. <gasps> no. She finally gets close enough, and Jesus is walking by, talking with Jairus. They're having a good, good conversation. She reaches out and just barely, but the fingertip, she touches the hem of his garment. Just the, the smallest touch of his garment. Healed. <laughs> you know, it's gone. The shame is gone. It's no more. Jesus stops, and he, he asks one of those questions that the disciples must have hated. You know, it's one of those questions they knew they couldn't get the right answer if they tried. He stops and he says, who touched me? <laughs> you know, and they're saying, Jesus, it's kind of like everybody touched me. No, who touched me? Because I felt the power go out of me. The woman came forward. Said, Jesus, I did. You know what he said at that point? Some of you do. My daughter. My daughter. Only time he ever called anyone my child. Never calls anyone my son. Only time he ever has this kind of analogy at all is to this woman. My daughter. It's kind of like he stopped who touched me? She did? Okay. Jairus, Jairus, wait, wait, wait. Come back here, Jairus. Jairus, my daughter. You got your daughter? I got mine. And I just healed her. Her faith has made her well. And those who believe in me, Jairus, will not be put to shame. Not ever. Not ever again. We finished with this. And so there's the gospel for you. The shame of sin, gone. The shame of life, gone. The shame that you thought was defining who you are, gone. Because Jesus is unashamed to call you his brother, his sister. And God is unashamed to, call you, to have you call him your God. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we deal with so many issues in life. Just about the time we think we have a handle on one of them, another comes up. But behind them all, so often, Father, is the shame we feel, the shame that some have taught us, but so often, Father, the shame that we have earned by our sin. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you. 
the shame is gone. And when we stand before your throne, we will stand clothed in the righteousness and hear the Savior say, this is mine. I'm proud of it. Let your spirit roll into this room, occupy our hearts, apply the word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.